All right. Y'all give the Lord a big hand. Come on, a little louder than that. Let's bring the house lights up a little bit. You guys may be seated. God bless you. God bless you. We started talking last week about doing something, and I think that if we look through Scripture, we will realize very quickly that that's what God has called the church to do. God did not save a church house. He didn't save a building. He didn't die for an establishment. He died for you and I, the body of Christ. Look to somebody and say, you are the church. Look to them and tell them that now. You see, I think that there's a big misnomer today as we gauge the the effectiveness of the local church. And I'm talking corporately. I'm not even talking about just Upson County. But if you take a cross-section of the church today and look at just Upson County, you'll realize very quickly that some 5,000 people are in church this morning. 5,000 out of some 29 to 30,000 people. That means that only about 13% of Upson County, Thomas and Upson County, are in church today. And I, and I don't know about you, but I'm not okay with that. And I think that the extension of the hand of Jesus as we move forward with this church launch is you guys get plugged in, as you guys invite people, as you guys reach out, you begin to search and find out where your place is to be invested in the church family and the body. Because here's what I know to be true as I read 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. Speaking, of course, of the body of Christ, the Apostle Paul is constantly telling us to get involved in that part of that body. Because here's the reality. You may not realize how important your thumb is, but if you were to have it removed or cut off or something like that, you'd realize how important that one little piece of your body is to the whole of your body, to grip things, to give somebody a thumbs up, whatever the case may be, to hold a glass. So all that being said, if you put that same persona in the, in the church body, in the body of Christ, you know, you may not be that edgy piece of the body, the mouthpiece. Maybe you're not called to preach. Maybe you're not called to sing. Maybe you're like me. You just make a joyful noise to the Lord, but to everyone else it sounds like, you know, uh, monkeys screaming or something. But the thing of it is, is we have to realize that there's a lot more to the body of Christ than just a hand, maybe a missionary or a feet, somebody that's going serving from place to place. You may not be that person. You may not be the person that will ever stand in front of people and testify, but I want you to know that your part of the body is absolutely still as in importance as the mouth is. And that's what we have to do as a church. We have to realize where we fit into the big scheme of things. And I think the biggest opportunity that you and I have before us today as we move forward in a church launch is that it will be easily too easy for you to identify what that part is. You know, you get into a, a church maybe like I've been in many, many times in my life is you see things working and you often get lost. You kind of find yourself moving to the outskirts because you maybe you're overwhelmed by the mere numbers or maybe you're overwhelmed by the, by the magnitude of it all. But with this, as you see this grow, you'll see community groups. You will see uh, ushers. You will see greeters. You'll see nursery workers. There's children's church workers back in the back that are ministering to ages 4 to 5th grade. And, and there's a place for you. If you don't love children, can I go ahead and tell you, you're not called to be a nursery worker. And if you can't sing, you're not called to sing. But you know what? You may be a person that can cook, and you may be a person that can serve. You may be a person that can pray, which is where we're going to go today. In the context of our sermon series, which is entitled Do Something, I look through Scripture and survey and find one common trend throughout the teachings of Scripture all the way from the Old Testament all the way through the New, and that's this, that when God saves you, when you call on the name of Jesus to be a born-again child of God, been washed in the blood, redeemed by the, by the finished work on the cross, that that is not the end but the beginning. That God at that very moment is calling you, watch this, to stand up, to arise. Every single person, look in Jeremiah, he says, I ordained you, I called you to a purpose that I had for you when you were still in your mother's womb. Watch this, to an expected end. God knows the end before the beginning ever starts. And he knows it in your life. 
All we have to do is be sensitive and pray and find out what it is that God has called us to do. You remember Jonah? He told him to arise and to go and to cry out. See, that was a different type of thing than what he was calling Jeremiah to do, which was call, cry out to his own home nation. But the reality is, as we do something, we oftentimes reduce doing something to serving or acting. When in fact, one of the greatest attributes of the Christian faith, the ingredients to growth not only in your own life, but in your home, in your community, to dramatically transforming the community in which you live is prayer. I believe it to be one of the absolute strongest tenets of mine and your faith. But I also believe it to be one of the most misunderstood. In fact, as we raise our children, many of you may have done this. Many of you may still do this. Nothing wrong with this. But we raise our children to say, God is great, God is good. You know, and that's, that's the extent of our prayer over food. Or if you're, you know, like one of my Asian friends, he said he used to pray, God is great, God is nice, thank you, Lord, for the rice. I mean, whatever it may be, you pray a simple prayer, and it becomes what? Redundant and mundane. It becomes the type of prayer that you pray as almost a ritual or some type of, uh, you know, this is what we're supposed to pray. I go to bed, I pray, now I lay me down to sleep. I love the prayers, and maybe your, your kids did this too. When we were raising our children, I, I thank God that my wife was, was raised in church and had this wherefore-all to begin to tell them early on, you know, yeah, the, now I lay me down to sleep is amazing. But she started telling them who God was. And, and so much so that God could do anything. And my kids, it was funny, they would lay down uh, by the bed or kneel down by the bed, and we'd get down there and pray, and they would say, Lord, I just pray that you kill all the scorpions and snakes and spiders, and, and Lord, just take care of everybody. And they start praying this prayer like just envelops the entire world. Have you ever heard your kids pray like that? Can I tell you something? God is moved more by that than he is our routine, mundane prayers that you and I pray oftentimes in our life. Why? Because the Bible says, Jesus speaking, he said, hey, don't, don't suffer the children to come unto me. In fact, you need to be like them. You need to come as a child who just simply believes that God can do anything that he said he would do and pray in that manner. You know, God, I got this situation going on. Can you handle this? God, I got this situation across town. There was a story of a church that I was in several years ago that I served, had the fortunate pleasure of serving it over in LaGrange. And on Monday night, we had a men's prayer meeting. And one of the deacons came in one night and just had a burden had a burden at his work. He worked for a very large company in LaGrange, and there was this woman who had taken over as plant manager or some big supervisor. And he came in just, I mean, he was weeping. He was crying. He said, I, I've been working at this company for 20-something years, but I, I cannot continue to handle this. This is ridiculous. This woman is terrifying me. She is so difficult to work for. I'm going to end up having to lose my job. But men, and there was 83 men in that room that night, and he said, man, I'm calling on you to agree with me that God will move this woman out of the way. And we, st and we started praying. I mean, we weren't asking that she fall down the steps in Jesus' name or anything like that. We were just praying, God, I pray that you just move the situation out of the way. If you can change your heart. I remember one guy said, God, if you can change her heart and save her. She was so mad at him for being a Christian, so she took that out on him. And he started praying, and we started praying with him. The next prayer meeting, not a month from now, but the next prayer meeting, this man came back in smiling from ear to ear. He goes, guys. Y'all ain't going to believe what happened. God did not just move this woman out of the way. She didn't just go work for another company. God sent her to Bolivia. Now, we, we, we take that and we look at it and go, does God really do that? Can I tell you something? You read Genesis 50 and verse 20 and you realize that people out there may mean something for your harm, but God will turn it for your good. But prayer is the vehicle by which we communicate with God. 
prayer is not, hear me, prayer is not something we do right before the offering is taken up. Though we do. Prayer is not something we do right before we eat, though we should. Prayer is not something that we do only when we lay down at night. Prayer, I believe, as Apostle Paul, is a prayer without ceasing. It's a constant communing with the Lord. It's saying, God, I'm about to go in this situation, and it's bigger than me. I need your help. Husbands, you should be praying uh, the Ephesians 5.25 prayer that I call it. Is pray, God, help me as a husband to love my wife as you have loved me, the church. Wives, you should be praying, God, help me to be the Proverbs 31 wife so that I can, I can do these things that cause my kids to rise up and call me blessed, that my husband would be blessed in the city gates. See, there's a prayer that goes beyond the mundane, the routine, the everyday stuff. Guys, I want you to know that prayer is the vehicle where we unleash the riches and the glory and the majesty of God in our life and in our community. And you know what's frightening for us? Is that we, when we think, do something, we think it only means something physical. When I submit to you today that doing something in the power and the glory of God by way of prayer will change your life. In fact, let's do that right now. Let's pray. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus right now that you would speak to our hearts. Glorify yourself in, a, in this time. Help us, Lord, to do something by way of prayer. To realize that prayer is the most essential part. The reducible part of our Christian faith. And, Lord, today we ask you to glorify yourself in and through us in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. I'll give you three quick things as to why I believe prayer is the essential part, ingredient of our Christian faith. Number one, and I think this is profound, is that God relates to prayer. If you look in the Gospels, you will realize that there is an advocate. There is an intercessor. His name is Jesus, the Holy Spirit. As we pray, in fact, the Bible says this, you don't know how to pray. So will you guys that are maybe a little nervous about praying, uh, bless my dad's heart. My dad, up until the day he died, was terrified about praying out loud in front of people. It went back to a... I mean, when I was a child, I think an infant, my dad was praying over at East Thomaston Baptist Church, and he was praying in front of a bunch of children, and they were going around, and they were saying, Lord, I pray you would bless this, and they were calling out all these profound things, and it got to my dad to pray in front of these little preschoolers, and he goes, Lord, I just pray you bless the birds, and they all busted out laughing. And from then on, I kid you not, my dad was terrified about praying in front of people. There's many people in this room today that if I were to call on you right now and say pray, you would literally melt and just roll down the pews right behind you because you're terrified. You know why? Because we, we think that they have to be these eloquent prayers that just blow everybody's mind as they're standing around us. When in fact, I want you to know, you know what kind of prayer God relates to? God relates to the prayer of uncertainty. He relates to the prayer that you don't even know how to pray. Have you ever been here? I've done this many, many times where I would get on my knees or I'd get on my face and I would begin to pray and I would say this to God before I ever started. I would say, God, I don't even know how to pray. God, I don't even know the answer that I'm asking for. Is anybody, come on, don't make me feel weird. Has anybody else ever prayed that? Okay, y'all were looking at me really funny. To pray that prayer of uncertainty, to know that when I'm not sure about what's going on, God already knows the answer before I ask the question. In fact, in Luke's gospel, uh, 6 and 12 and 13, says this. One day soon after Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. Did you hear that? Soon after Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, he prayed to God all night. Everybody say all night. 
At the daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be his apostles. Jesus gave us the model for prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but really it was the disciples' prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he goes on and he, he talks about the will of God, not only in heaven, but here on earth. And he begins to unfold this simple model prayer. But Jesus showed us over and over and over again that he, in his humanity... Because you have to realize, he's fully God, but yet he's fully man. That's hypostatic union. He coexisted as a man. And in his humanity, he cried out to God every single time throughout his earthly ministry. Bless you. Every single time throughout his earthly ministry, when someone would approach him, when someone would come at him and they would begin to throng against him, he would always do what, guys? He would separate himself and go and cry out to his father. In fact, if you look into the Gethsemane account, the night that Jesus was arrested, he did something profound. Jesus himself could have just spoken it, and every one of the oppressors, every one of the aggressors, those Roman soldiers would have fallen dead on the very spot. In fact, one of the gospel accounts, it says that when the men approached him in the garden as he was praying, they came up and they said, he said, who do you seek? And he said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am he. The Bible says that they flew back because of the power of his answer. But yet in his humanity, let me tell you what he did that night. A place of uncertainty in his humanity. You know what he did? He cried out. He said, God, as he's crying out to God in his humanity, he said, God, if it be possible. See, he was uncertain about it in his humanity. In his perfection as God, in, in, the, in, in full view as a person, he realized that he had to fulfill the, the Father's will. But watch what he did. He said, God, not my will, but yours be done. If it be possible that I not go through the things that you're asking me to go through, then take this cup for me. But God, nevertheless... Not my will, but yours be done. See, God relates to prayer in times of uncertainty. Secondly, in times of consistency. I think that many of you in this room can probably relate to this. Maybe you've been praying for something for so long that it has gotten so, it has gotten so frustrating that you either have given up on that prayer or you have found it to be so routine that you don't even know if you believe it anymore. You're crying out to God maybe for a loved one. Maybe you're crying out for God, women in the house. It's, un it's unfortunate, but a lot of women in the church today are, are more in tune with what God has called them to be. And maybe their husband's hunting, or maybe he's on the golf course, or maybe he's doing other things because he's not being the man that God has called him to be for his family, to be the head and not the foot. But the reality is there's women in this room that are crying out. And my wife was one of those people, and many of you men are in this room today because your wife cried out to a holy God. And you know what? She prayed consistently pressed on even when she saw no fruit nothing happened she kept praying why because faith is the substance of things hoped for when the evidence is of things not seen do you know what i believe i believe that when we cry out to god and we are just believing god, especially when we're believing god for someone else like that that maybe just maybe right before there's breakthrough then we say this to God in anger and frustration. We say, God, what's the point? You're not even listening. And immediately, watch this, the angels turn back and abort the blessing that's on the way. Say, Mark, do you really believe that? Oh, I absolutely do believe that. I have seen wives, I've seen children. I was one of the that prays for their father to quit drinking after an entire lifetime. Of, of an existence of drinking and pouring into something that was deteriorating their life, that was destroying them, and crying out and crying out and crying out, only to a point to say, God, are you really listening to me? Can I tell you something unequivocally? He is listening to you. You know what the Bible says? 
In James 5, it says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth, say this, much. You see, guys, the inverse of that is this, that the daily mundane routineness, lackadaisical prayer avails nothing. It's that person who says, I'm fixing my eyes on the calling that is in Christ Jesus. I'm fixing my eyes on the fact that God has a plan for my family. Can I tell you this today? I don't care where you come from. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care if you step foot in the church today for the first time or you've been in church since the day you were conceived in your mother's womb. Can I tell you something? God has a plan for your life. And the way to get that realized in your life, Charmin, is through prayer. Because that is the way we talk to God. You know what the problem is? People have, that, have a problem with that word righteous. Say, Mark, I'm not worthy to pray. Mark, you don't, you don't know what I've done. You know what? You're exactly right, but you don't know what I've done either. You don't know where I was. You don't know how far gone I was. You may think you do, but can I tell you something? Nobody knows what goes on up here in your head but you and God. In fact, I think we would all be completely blown away if we had to take what's going on in our head this week and throw it up on the screen for everyone to see only you and God know that your your spouse doesn't know it mom and dad don't know it but God does so the prayer of a righteous man you say Mark I'm not righteous because you don't know can I tell you something the Bible says he who knew no sin speaking of Jesus became my sin that you and I may be made the righteousness of God in him you see, he didn't just die for your sin, guys. He didn't just die for your drunkenness. He didn't just die for your pornographic addiction. He didn't just die for your lying and gossiping and all the things that you've ever done or doing now and will do. Watch what he did. He died and became that so that you may be made the righteousness of God in him. See, when God looks down from heaven, he doesn't see a person just failing spiritually. He doesn't see a person that's dirty and tainted with sin. If you are a child of the Most High God, let me tell you what God sees. He sees the righteousness of Christ in and on your life. I don't know about you, but that excites me. It gives me a little bit more boldness. Here's what we do. And I said this, I think, last week. As parents, how many of you have ever got so mad? Maybe, maybe this doesn't apply to you, just me and Stephanie. Have you ever got so mad at your children that you would literally be close to pulling their arm off and beating them with it. You're not supposed to raise your hand there. You can get locked up for that. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I have. I'm, I'm going to do it now, in fact. Have you ever done this? Have you, your child ever come there and does something crazy, especially when they were like 10, 11, 12, and, you know, they're going in that preteen, pre-crazy, pre-Satan mode, and then you look at them, and they do something stupid and crazy and jacked up, and everything you've told them not to do, they're doing it, and you look, you better get away from me right now. You better walk back in there. I don't even want to look at you. Can I tell you something? The problem with that paradigm is we think God looks at us the same way. We think that when we do good and we're at church today, we slap the Holy Spirit a high five and go, hey, did you see what I dropped in the plate? Did you see me worshiping when Keith and Ashley were singing? Did you see me greeting? And we go out and we have a little bit more boldness to go to the throne and pray for our family. But then we get out here in the week and we drop a curse word or we, we do something we know contrary to God's plan for our life. And we do those things. Then we know what we do. Then we do this. When we approach the throne of grace through prayer, we do so sheepishly or cowardly. When in fact, guys, that's a lie from the enemy. He says we, we now, through Christ, have the ability to go boldly before the throne of grace. Not because you're good. Not because you did it all right. Not because you're you a great worker and a great person and a good old boy. Here's the problem in the Bible Belt in which we live. Stephanie and I have talked about this many, many times. We think down here we're just a pretty good old boy and a pretty good old gal. 
And therefore, God will hear our prayers when we live according to that premise. But the Bible says there's none good, not one, but Jesus. There is none righteous. You see, it's not about us being good, Joe. It's about what he's done for us so that we may be made his righteousness. And listen, the fervent effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Guys, prayer can't be like this. Lord, I just pray you would do this, and I pray you would do that, and oh God, thank you for this. And we go through this big list, this big smorgasbord of things we bring before the Lord, and then we look at him and say, thank you in Jesus' name, and then we get up and march on. We have made prayer a dialogue, I mean a monologue, when it must be a dialogue we got to get to a place where we do this. Cut your phone off. Because you can rest assured when you start praying, your phone's going to start ringing. Mine does it every time. Or if you get in the bed and you pull the covers up, the whatever you call your, your blanket, like some of y'all men sleep with a kiki, you call your blanket kiki or something, and you got this big fuzzy pillow, and you got your thumb in your mouth, and you're shutting it down, and then you think it's time to pray. Lord, I just thank you for this. You're out. My wife pressed this on me for years and years and years. Mark, quit praying, lying down in the bed on your back. I said, Lord, don't care how the posture of my body is. He's looking at the heart. She goes, yeah, but you're going to sleep. And you know what I found myself doing? I found myself getting on my knees, and sometimes I'd get on my knees, and I didn't even feel like I was worthy, and I'd get on my face, and I'd begin to cry out to a holy God. Can I tell you something? Then you have time when you get through praying. You say, now, now this, in Jesus' name. Now, Lord, your servant, listen, speak to me. Let there be a dialogue. That's the effectual prayer. Secondly, God relates to prayer, thirdly, I should say, through obedience. Do you know God commands you to pray? We don't like that word, do we? Well, Mark, you just need to preach on the love. You just need to preach on the goodness and the grace and the mercy. Hey, that's great, and that's wonderful. But can I tell you something? There's also some commands. There's also some principles of if-then. There's some things that he says, if you call on the name of Jesus, whosoever will call on the name of Jesus shall be saved. There's principles, and the principle is this. In Philippians 4, 6 through 7, it says, and I think she read this a moment ago, be anxious for nothing. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you are worried to death about things? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. I don't want to point you out. But if you're a person that's anxious anxious about the things of tomorrow, then you're not living in the faith of who Jesus Christ is today. If you're depressed about the things of yesterday, you're not realizing that he's made that new. That's behind you. There are no do-overs. He's made you brand new. Be anxious for nothing. Watch this. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes understanding, watch this, what it will do. Which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God's called you to prayer, and he relates to prayer. Secondly, real quickly, God responds to prayer. Prayer opens the communication lines to get to a holy God. There's not a one of you in this room that can walk into Pennsylvania Avenue, whatever that address is. Is it 1500 Pennsylvania Avenue? Does anybody know the president, I mean the White House? Is that right? 1600? That was my next guess. Thank you, Jay. You like know everything, whatever. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Not a one of you in here, no matter who you are, no matter how much money you got, you're going to knock on the front door and go, I need to see Barack. They're going to show you the AK. They're going to want to shoot you because you can't just go knock on the door and walk in to see the president. But can I tell you something? You can go boldly before the throne of the creator of the universe. You can go above Barack Obama. You can go above any governmental official. You can go straight to the one who created it all, who hung it in its place, and you can go to him. Why? Because he responds to prayer. First John 4, uh, 5 through and 14 says this, If you ask anything according to his will, he will hear you. 
you got to go in there and ask him for his will for your life. In fact, I'm going to be so bold to say something today. It may blow some of your minds. You're going to give me that little aha look as I say this. Do you know that God always answers your prayers? Some of y'all going, you're wrong there, brother. God always, always answers your prayers. Did you know that? But he does so in one of three ways. First uh, Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10, we see the genealogy of man being listed chronologically to get to a place where we see the lineage coming from a lot of nothingness to a greatness, and his name was Jesus. And right in the middle of all this person begat this person, you've probably thumbed through it if you've ever read Scripture, and you get to the this person begat this person, all these names you can't pronounce, and all of a sudden you're just like, okay, Lord, whatever. And then you get over there to something you can read. But right sandwiched in the middle of that, in 1 Chron- Chronicles chapter 4 and verse 10, the Bible says, And then there was a man named Jabez who was more honorable than his brothers. And he prayed a prayer, God, that you would bless me indeed. And God, that you would enlarge my coast. You would, you would lengthen my, my territory. And that, God, that you would keep me from harm and keep me from eagle, evil, uh, not eagles, but you would keep me from evil. And, God, that it would not grieve me. And the Bible says in 1 Chronicles chapter 4, and verse 10, and God granted him that which he requested. One of the ways that God answers your prayers is he just says yes. How many of you like when you pray to God for something and the answer is immediate and it's a yes? How many of you like that? Wave your hand at me like you just don't care. You know you do. But God doesn't always answer it that way. Sometimes he answers it like this. In John chapter 11, we see the story of Mary and Martha whose brother Lazarus was sick unto death. They knew he was dying, and they knew that in Bethany, Jesus had come and had food with him and sat with him, and he was a friend of Jesus. And they sent word, and they said, we need you, Jesus, to come now because our brother, the one who you love, he's sick. Lazarus is sick. Come now. And the Bible says something profound. It says that Jesus heard that, and he looked at his disciples, and they say, Master Adonai, we got to go now. We got to go do this lest he die. And he said, the Bible says he tarried yet two more days. Knowing it was a day's walk away, he tarried two more days. And as we read Scripture, we look at that and we go, how cold is that? Because you and I would do that. We would, we would go and help somebody. If I called you and I said, hey, man, Stephanie's sick. I want you guys to come pray at the house right now. Probably every person under the sound of my voice, whether in this room or listening by podcast, you would say, I'll be there. I'll go. I'll pray with you. When my dad was sick, man, there were people coming in and out constantly, laying their hands on my dad and crying out to a holy God. And you and I do that. And when we read this in John chapter 11, we see this and we go, God, why would you not respond to somebody that you love? Because I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes Jesus says yes, but sometimes he says, wait, not now. You see, some of the greatest answers to prayers in my life was when God didn't just say yes, but he said, Mark, you're not ready for it. Because I submit to you that as you read this story, that Jesus waited till Lazarus died. He waited till there was no hope. I'm talking zero. There was nothing left in there for anyone to suggest that anyone else or a medicine or anything could have revived Lazarus. Not only that, according to Jewish customs, after they'd been in the ground for three days, they were deemed dead by the people. Because remember, their funerals would last a whole week. But after the third day, which was the day of resurrection, when it entered into the fourth day, guess what? It was over. It was settled. No more mourning. Nothing's bringing them back. And just so happened, Jesus saw the greatness of that prayer was not just going and healing him from being sick, but waiting until there was no hope and healing from death. You see, because then, as he walked on that scene that day, he stood out on that mountainside. As you remember, he asked him, he says, take me where you've laid him. He didn't ask him to do that because he didn't know. 
He asked him to do that because God is partnering with man. And then he took him there and he says, now somebody roll the stone away. I don't know if you know this or not, but he could have rolled the stone away because he did it later in his own death. But see, he's partnering with man consistently. But then when it came the point in time to issue the word of life, no one else partnered with Jesus. He stepped on and said, Lazarus, come forth. I've heard it said by a couple of old preachers back in the day that said, had he not called Lazarus by his name, every dead person in that mountain would have got up and stepped out of the tomb that day. By the power through Jesus. But guess what? They prayed, come now, prayed, our brother's dying. In fact, when, when Jesus did show up, uh, Martha went up to him and said, you know, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And he said, hey, I know that. He's going to live again. She said, yeah, I know, in the last day in the resurrection. She was looking to a point in time down the road. And you know what he said? He looked at her. He said, no, 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 I am the life and I am the resurrection. See, she was looking down there to a point in time when she was facing resurrection standing right in front of her. You see, sometimes we pray, God, heal my child. You know, I prayed, God, heal my father. And God wouldn't give me an answer, and he wouldn't show me. And then finally I prayed, and I said, Lord, I pray that you would give him 15 more years like Hezekiah was given when he prayed. Give me 15 more years because I've seen where you've brought him from. I know the work you have left in his life. God, heal his life. Heal his body. Let him go back to Jamaica with me. Let him stand out on that field with Rush. Let him see his grandson born. Let him do those things. And you know what God told me? He said, Mark, I did give him 15 years. And I went back from that point to the point in time where my dad gave his life over to Jesus was almost 15 years to the month. You see, we don't understand sometimes why God just says wait. And then thirdly, he always answers prayer. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says wait. And here's the tough part, church. Here's the tough part. Here's the part that you and I don't want to sink our teeth in today. That sometimes he says no. He's still giving you an answer, but the answer is no. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and following, the Apostle Paul, Josh, a man that, I submit to you, was a man who connected with God. He wrote over to almost two-thirds of the New Testament. He was a man, of course, Saul of Tarsus. He was a man who, who did such travesty to the Christian faith. As the band comes, and y'all get back up here for just a moment, get ready. I want to I send this point home with you guys. I want you guys to know that there's a time where the Apostle Paul, if anybody could have connected with God, it should have been the Apostle Paul. And this is what he prayed. God, you've called me to pin your words. God, you've called me to spread the message. God, you've called me to raise up Timothy and Silas and Barnabas and John Mark. You've called me to do these things. But the problem is, there's a thorn in my flesh you've sent satan the messenger to buffet me and i know why lest i be exalted above measure maybe he was worried about getting high-minded he recognized that the enemy was satan in this but he called it listen to me a thorn in his own flesh many theologians submit that he could have been losing his eyesight because we see later that he wrote in larger words we even see later that he had timothy write for him i don't know that today because the bible doesn't tell us what it was I don't know if he was becoming blind, but the Bible says specifically, church, it was a thorn in his flesh. It was something that ailed him. Maybe it was a confidence issue. How could that be a guy who has done what he had done? I don't know. But he said, I prayed three times. Again, three is the number for resurrection. He's praying and nothing happens. And he prayed and nothing happens. And he prayed. And then all of a sudden, Jesus speaks to him and he says, hey, the answer, Paul, is no. Because it's in your weakness, Paul, that you realize who I am. 
You see, it's in your weakness, church, that his strength is made perfect. How many of you know Jesus is all-powerful? How many of you know that? But see, if that's true, and Paul knew that, then what is Jesus talking about? He's saying it this way. It's in your weakness, church. It's in your weakness, Mark. It's in a place when you don't have anywhere to turn. It's in a place where you have no answers. It's in a place where you feel like you're broken and there's nothing happening. That my strength is made perfect in you. But if, but if Jesus' strength is already perfect, then what does that mean? Why is it made perfect? Because the word there does not mean to become. It means to be made manifest, to be seen, to be brought into view. You see, it's in your weaknesses that people around you see you crying out to a holy God. And then watch this. They don't see your strength. They see the strength of Jesus in you. We're real quick to pray that God would take this thorn from my flesh. We're real quick to pray, God, fix my child. We're real quick to say, God, fix my finances. And hey, nothing wrong with that. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. I believe you can bring those petitions before him. He wants us to. But when he says no, maybe, just maybe, if he's the God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever, maybe he's showing you like he did Paul. That my strength is made perfect in your weakness. It's going to be in your weakness, church, that he's going to be made manifest as the God of who he is, the God of the universe, the God of the creation, the one who you can stand up and say, there's no weapon formed against me that will grow or prosper. There's, there's greaterness, greater in he that is in me than he that is in this world. Or, or whatever it may be that you can stand on this morning to say, I'm absolutely without an answer, but it's in my weaknesses. His strength made per- perfect. And then he says this, my grace is sufficient simply means that it's all you need as a pastor I would I would tell you that there may be times I can give you an answer on something of why you're where you are why something's going on but guys I don't have an answer for for why a good friend of mine who had a two-year-old son named Caden who several years ago when I was in the ministry over in LaGrange the boy walked in a pool and he went to the bottom and a few minutes later the mother found him and took him to the hospital I got the call and I go up there and I see this family laying on the floor crying out on behalf of their son Caden this precious little two-year-old boy who didn't know right from wrong just lived and was a beautiful perfect kid and I got on my face that night before a holy God with that family and I cried like it was my son in that room that they were working on and I'm crying out to God and I knew that I knew that I knew that God was going to raise up that little boy there was no doubt in my mind I had absolute faith. And that doctor walked in that room and he said, I'm sorry, but there's nothing else we can do. Man, my faith was crushed. I've never cried out like that. And I realized that day, he took me back and he said, Mark, you don't understand this now, but I'm going to show you something. And oh, by the way, I'm going to show Elisa the mama something. And I'm going to show the daddy something. And I'm going to show the, the other brothers. I'm going to show a, a community something. You know that woman today is leading Bible studies of women, telling them how to persevere in total loss, total catastrophe, when there are no answers and when God says no. She's helped other women because she lost her heart. And I'm going to tell you something. When she said, I'll have her here here one day. You need to hear her story. To know that this woman has some kind of something bigger than her, that she can stand up and say this to you and to me and say, I thank God for Cade's death because it's in that that God's strength was made perfect in my life. 
I'm not there yet, to be honest with you. I'm not there. I don't know if I can say that. But you see, God always responds. And finally, God renews by prayer. First John 1, 9, I'm closing here. If you confess your sin, He's faithful and He's just to forgive you of your sin. And watch this. To cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Do you need to be renewed today? Do you need to be renewed as a as a child of God? Maybe you had it. Maybe you're saved. Child of God. But you've not lived in the fullness of God for your life and your family for many, many years. Hey, I want you to know something. He's still there. He's still God. He never left you nor forsake you. You're not a child of God because you're good. You're a child of God because He's good. By birth. If you want to pray and ask God to forgive your sins and to cleanse you, he'll make it all new, a clean slate, new work to begin. But maybe you're sitting there today and you need to be renewed for the first time. Maybe you're dead in your trespasses. You're dead in your sin. See, the Bible says we've all sinned and come short the glory of God in Romans 3.23. We are all sinners. We are all on the same level playing field, needing of a Savior. And Jesus said, I come that none would perish, but that all come to repentance. The wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ. And then Romans 10 and 13. I love this verse because this is a prayer of renewal. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. With your head bowed and your, with your, head bowed and your eyes closed, if you want to know him today as Lord and Savior of your life, would you pray with me right here, right now, from your heart to God? Pray this with me. Say, God in heaven, I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus Christ. And I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart to forgive me of all my sin. Jesus, will you save me? Be the Lord of my life and help me to live for you until the day you call me home. If you pray that prayer today, I want to know it. I want to be able to pray for you without any hesitation without any thought process if you pray today and ask Jesus Christ into your heart to save you right here right now with every head bowed and every eye closed lift your hand right now I just want to pray for you God bless you and you